You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to Redskins receiver Terry McLaurin, former Redskins beat writer, now a Bears beat writer, Rich Campbell, and then it's time for your podcast therapy session. I answer your questions in a mailbag. But first I had the chance to sit down with McLaurin who is off to a terrific start after two games. Here's my interview with Terry McLaurin. The first thing I want to start with, um, pretty two strong first game, two games. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised at all by what you've been able to do these first two games? Um, not surprised because of the work I put in uh, day in, day out, the way I uh, prepare for practice, the way I look at film and uh, how serious I um, <clears throat> approach this game. So um, I'm not surprised, but um, you know, it, it's very encouraging to see how much confidence and how much trust that my uh, coaches and Case having me so early as a rookie. Um, so you know, that's kind of exciting, but I'm not really surprised. When, when, the, when, when they show that kind of trust and confidence in you, what does yeah. that do for a player? I mean, I think how it does just, it change you? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it just gives me even more confidence to be the guy that they are, you know, expecting me to be. A guy that they can trust on third down, a guy they can trust on fourth down, one-on-one situations. I mean, I feel like that separates good from great receivers in the league. I'm not anywhere near a great one yet, um, but I hope to be that one day. So um, if I could continue to just be consistent day in, day out, um, you know, some people think since I'm in the starting position, then I'm like, have a ride. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm trying to prove that every single day that I deserve to be that receiver and deserve to be um, a guy that's worth those targets. How do you do that? How do you go about mm-hmm. that every day? Where what are some of the little things maybe you're yeah. doing out here every day to prove that? Yeah, well, con- I mean, continuing what has gotten me here, my hard work, um, my my intelligence, my ability to pick up the new game plans each and every week, be precise in the way I run my routes and practice, and make the plays that come to me. I feel like that's what's gotten me this far, and that's what's going to continue to um, build more confidence in everyone. The ability to run routes from different spots, mm-hmm. how much is that a benefit for you So yeah. to do that so early, too? I think it's uh, very beneficial for myself. Um, it gives us hopefully some matchup advantages, um, putting me in the slot and not just necessarily having me all the, outside all the time. But um, I feel like also it allows us to spread the ball out and and attack defenses in different ways. We can attack the middle, we can attack on the perimeter. Okay. Uh, so um, and that's not just with me. That's I feel like it was with all sure. our, our skill players. Because there yeah. are guys who are moving around. But when oh, you see definitely. that, can you see? Um, the defense may be questioning what's happening because you are lining yeah. up. Can you tell that there yeah. may be some confusion about what you might yeah. do? Um, it wasn't necessarily any confusion, I would say, but um, 
more so to the Dallas game because I lined up in the slot. You can tell their middle linebackers were, you know, checking okay. to me being in the slot. Um, you know, I don't know what their checks are, but they were obviously noticing, recognizing uh, that that differential. And that can open up something else for someone else. Almost oh, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do from from that. It doesn't necessarily mean just because I'm in the slot, I'm getting the ball. That's right. I could be clearing it out for one of uh, our other skill players. So uh, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. But um, I feel like when you have fast guys in the offense, dynamic guys in our offense like we do, not just myself, um, it opens it up for everybody. If you go back and look at yourself from this time last year at Ohio mm -hmm. State, how different are you as a receiver? Um, I feel like... You know, I've, I've consistently gotten better, and um, I think that's a testament just the way I've kind of uh, approached getting better. Um, I've been really precise in the way I've gotten better. I just don't go out to practice, hey, I'm going to get better at everything. I try to choose one or two things I'm going to work on each and every practice, each and every uh, day that I can improve on. And if you work on it consistently long enough, then you're going to see yourself getting better. So this time last year, I was uh, working on those 50-50 balls. And, um, you know, it's kind of coming fruition. You never know when it's really going to right. come come to pass until you're in the moment. So you just got to continue and believe what you're putting in the work for is going to come out in the light. But it's funny, too, because even watching you on some of the deep balls, some of the routes, I think there was a route, there was a flat route that Adrian got the pass on. Mm -hmm. But on that same play, you basically turned the corner inside out. Yeah. And, I, you know, just watching you with the body lean and all that mm -hmm. are you more advanced even after just a couple months yeah feeling that way just because again I, I just I know you remember that play but it's like right. there were a couple other times where I saw that we were able yeah. to kind of cross them up a yeah I feel like it's a two-part answer one um you know if I'm not necessarily getting the ball the primary read or if I'm on a run play I may use that rep to set up something you know what I mean and my set up something is I may run a slant run a slant run a slant think him have the DB think I'm going to go inside, and then next time I get a go ball call, I've already set him up inside. So it's kind of just that mind game um, of playing the receiver position and, and being ready when your number's called. How, you, I was looking at just going back and doing some research, because when you mm -hmm. went to Ohio State, you were a three-star target. That's yeah. a four- and five-star school. Yeah. You know, you go to school, you're five foot four, like a buck 20 mm -hmm. when you're in high school. Yeah. But yet... They open, you opened eyes with the 4-3 in high school. You opened eyes with the 4-3 at the combine. Do you right. feel like you know, that you're always kind of in that position where you're having to earn whatever you get? And that sounds yeah. silly, but yeah. like not everybody's always in that. Right. No, you're right. And um, I guess if you want to say overlooked, um, um, I've kind of been that guy throughout my entire career. But I don't, I've never really uh, worked as hard as I can to get the recognition. I've always just wanted to be a good teammate, be um, you know, a moniker that I live by is trying to make the most of my opportunities. I don't know how many I'm going to get, but if I can make the most of those, then more arise, more come. So um, I've, I guess you could say I've been the forgotten guy, but you ask my teammates and, and my coaches, the teams I've been on, I, hopefully that I've earned their respect and uh, I've worked my way up to be a guy who's a force to be reckoned with on the field. How did you, how did you do that? How did you go from the three-star to yeah. what? And again, you know, it's not like you were a first-round pick. You're a mm -hmm. third-round pick, which is good. It's the mm -hmm. NFL. But it's, you know, it's almost like the same spot. But how did you go from the third three-star recruit yeah. to being a captain and key player on yeah. your team? Work. And, um, you know, people just think, oh, it's just work. Literally, like, if I weren't going to make it to the NFL, um, it was going to be because of something I didn't do. Or it was going to be something that it just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't going to be something I didn't do, the work I didn't put in, the rep that I did not take. 
it was literally, I mean, I remember Coach Mick calls it like, there's a difference between working hard and like that elbow grease, that nasty, right, dirty, right. dirt under your fingernails, just every day, constant, like, you're literally thinking about how you could get better each and every day, and you're not satisfied, like, there's never like, oh, I'm good now, so I feel like with that mindset, you, you keep an edge about yourself, um, and you, you, it's, it's hard for complacency to say that. What were some little things that maybe you did along those lines? Yeah. Like, what's an example of that? Um, I was catching in our all season going into my fifth year I caught over 3,000 footballs um, off the jugs tennis ball machines and um, you know people may hear that and yeah okay like we charted them you know okay. there was a goal of 10,000 now our coaches knew that 10,000 wasn't necessarily attainable but me and another player had the most in the receiver room oh really um, yeah and then when days I wasn't catching footballs I was running routes with coach Hartline Okay. So every single day outside of mandated workouts with our strength staff, I was doing something extra to prepare for the season. And I felt like that next step is what really shot me into where I am now because I was always a hard worker, but right. it was like like nonstop. But it was you were you were the gunner, you were the specialist, yeah. you were the good leader. Then mm-hmm. you became a yeah. really good prospect Most too. Definitely. So that's yeah. But um, Reggie Wayne, what's mm-hmm. his influence been on you as a receiver? Yeah. Um, well, Reggie Wayne was kind of a, a player that I grew up watching along with Mike Marvin Harrison. He's just they were two guys who may not have been the flashiest. They may not have got all the attention in the headlines, but they were guys who Peyton Manning, one of the best of all time, trusted. They were always in the spot where they needed to be. They were consistent players, um, and they made their team better. That's somebody I see myself being. Not necessarily the flashiest guy. Um, I may not put up all the big numbers, but um, you know my teammates, my quarterback, um, my coaches—they respect what I bring to the table. And then um, you always got to account for me when I'm on the field, whether it's special teams, offense, because um, you know I'm a—I have a possibility of making things happen. Do you miss special teams at all? Because you really haven't. I mean, you, yeah. I wonder if that was going to be some of your yeah, role, but yeah. it's really not. Do you, yeah. do you miss that at all? It's kind of ironic because everybody kind of pigeonhole me into that and I always saw myself as a football player Um, but um, you know people kind of wanted to discount that uh, my ability to play receiver and I've really developed into a somebody who's both I feel like I'm a really good receiver and I feel like I'm a really good special teamer Um, I just feel like it's in the coach's hands to put me in the best situation to help the team so if they were to ask me tomorrow to play uh, special teams then I would do it Um, and same with receiver so I've always kind of been a, a guy who wants to bring as much value to a, a team as possible. Well, it's funny because I know you got a player of the week, I think, at Ohio State for your yeah. block yeah. on the K.J. Hill touchdown yeah, against Penn State. And yeah. it's like, what's that like for you to get an award for a block? Yeah. That, I mean, I was not expecting that at all. I didn't have a catch that game. Um, and, I mean, it just goes to show you to what what value we had as, as a program. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to be the guy who makes the biggest difference in, in the box score, but um, it's the guy who makes that, that selfless play, that selfless, um, you know, extra effort to change the tide of the game. And I felt like um, that was big. I knew the, what the play call was going to be, and I knew um, if I got my block, then KJ had a chance to score. So I just was putting myself to the side for the team. What does lead, being a leader mean to you? Because not everybody has the same yeah. definition. What's it mean to you? Because that's what everybody talks yeah. about with you. I mean, I mean, I feel like it's everything. Um, you know, I, our coaching staff last year at Ohio State really forced me into being more of a vocal leader at, at, mm. while JT left, which that was kind of different for me because I was always a lead by example right. person. Um, you know, do what's right, work really hard, make plays when plays are asked of me. Um, but then I started to 
you know, grow into a, a, a more vocal role. And being a vocal leader, I didn't see it as like being a dictator, being another coach. I just saw it as upholding the standard and the expectations of the organization or the, or the program that I was in. You see somebody not upholding it, that's when you um, say something. I'm in this situation now, I'm, I'm a rookie. and. Um, you know, we have great leaders, so I'm not stepping in right. here thinking I'm a leader at all. I hope I'm gaining the respect of my teammates and my coaches to well, over time, hopefully some sometime down the future, they see me as a possible leader. But I'm just, you know, keeping my head down and working really hard. How's Dwayne holding up? Because yeah. it's got to be weird for him yeah. not playing after yeah. what he did last year. Right. Well, I mean, obviously in his situation, he lit the world on fire last year. And he's, he's a competitor. He wants to obviously be out there. But he's been a great teammate uh, to Case. And uh, he's still really locked in. And. Um, you know, I'm always constantly telling them to be ready. Um, um, you never know what happens during the course of the season. Um, but he's behind Case. We're behind Case 100%. But as a competitor, he obviously wants to be out there. But I'm just telling him to uh, be ready whenever his moment is is uh, going to come. And as on the same time, uh, just um, prepare like you're a starter. You know what I mean? Um, watch film like you're a starter. Compete out there against the first team defense, even if you're the scout quarterback. I mean, those are those are value. You reps. see him doing that? I see him doing that. Um, he's really embracing that role more and more. Um, and you know, he's making uh, our defense really work on some of the throws he that he really, can make. Yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. assume he's. I assume he has. Most definitely. He just doesn't. Okay, you see a card and just do it. Dwayne is really like trying to make sure everybody's on the right page and even uh, with the scout team yeah and uh you know cam and and uh robert davis and all our scout team receivers as well as the line they do a good job of just trying to give our defense the best look but he's really uh honing in on that as if he's like running all offense you, you come across like you're a 10-year vet mm -hmm. where does that come from that maturity and all yeah. that because you don't seem like you're like you just turned 24. yeah, yeah. um I, i've kind of always been labeled as having like an old soul but um at the same time, I've, I've always seen myself as just being a mature person, trying to see the bigger picture of things. I'm not necessarily um, worried, worried about me, 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 me. And I feel like in a world that everybody wants theirs, I've, I've, I've come to learn when you put yourself, when you put others before yourself and the team before yourself, you usually get yours in that sort of success. Right. You just have to be ready when your number is called. You got to be ready for your opportunity because you don't know if you'll ever get another right. one. So that's kind of how I feel like I've always lived my life and always competed playing football, just being ready and um, seeing the bigger picture. That last one, you know I'm an mm -hmm. Ohio State guy. Yeah. So like, you know, and I think I told you, I yeah. told people I, I hugged your mom at the Maryland mm -hmm. game after yeah. you scored. I didn't uh -huh. know it was her. Uh -huh. um, she didn't know who, you know. But anyways, Ryan Day, what's yeah. your what's your impression of him? Because he's yeah. know, they're off to a pretty good start. He's yeah. obviously got some respect. Yeah, I mean, Coach Day is a great, first of all, he's a great person. And I feel like people don't, you know, it, it's not as, yeah, he's a great coach, but is he a great person? Because you want to play for a great right. person first. And you want to know that he cares about you, not just on the field, but off the field. And I feel like he does that. He's a great dad, great husband. And um, that's first and foremost. And he just gives confidence to his players and his staff. He allows them to coach the way they coach uh, while still upholding the culture of Ohio State. He still um, allows them to be themselves and, and make plays and make adjustments and, and coach their style of coaching uh, for the betterment of Ohio State. So I feel like that's why they're having success. They believe in him and he believes in, in the yeah, staff. He's, and the he's a pretty good play designer, it seems. Oh, most definitely. I mean, a lot of people can appreciate. We were running a lot of NFL type concepts the last, pre, the last two years with Dwayne and JT. And I feel like with him bringing the mesh concepts mm -hmm. and the, the, the compliments off that really helped change our offense. Did it help you adjust to the NFL? I think it did. Um, it allowed me to kind of 
learn more uh, conceptually, not necessarily worry about what I have. And, um, you know, a lot of the carryover I've seen from the concepts, they may have different names in this system, but the West Coast offense, him coming from Chip Kelly, uh, those concepts are, are very similar. Cool. Yeah. Coming up, Rich Campbell is going to give you a scouting report on the Chicago Bears. Now I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Rich Campbell. For those of you who remember, he used to cover the Redskins for the Washington Times. He now covers the Bears for the Chicago Tribune. And Rich, before I bring you in, I want to explain a couple of things here. One of the things I always treasured when Rich was covering the Redskins was Wednesday nights after a game because Rich and I would go down and we watch all the film, watch it all, and then go over it in detail in the paper. And then he and I... Everybody else would be gone from the room. And Rich, you and I would have those fun conversations about what we saw in the game. And th that was a blast for me. So welcome aboard. That, thanks for having me, man. This is a highlight of my week for sure. I, I miss those conversations as well. Because, you know, when we go back and rewatch the game and write it up, you know, you could only get, what, 10,000, 20,000 words on the web. There was more to talk about than that. A lot so you more. and I would just have to dump it out on each other in the, in the media room there. Corey Lichtensteiger's blocks and things like that. Yeah, man, Tyler Columbus. Tyler hated right, those reviews. Exactly. Boy, did he hate those. And I think he's still like, I saw Lichtensteiger. I know it's all good. I saw him in Cleveland on the sidelines, and it was a nice welcome. I think if Tyler Columbus saw us, I'm not sure it would be that warm. Um, but I will say, like, and just for people, like, when you're on this beat, one of the reasons I enjoyed doing, you know, going back and watching the film, and one of the things that pushed me was knowing that Rich was doing the same thing. So I always wanted to make sure, well, I know Rich saw this play, so I better go over it in fine, with a fine-tooth comb to make sure I have every detail so that way I can at least keep up over there. So that's, that was and one of the things I always liked about it. And then in, from my perspective, it was very helpful to go to a different market, feel everything that you do, and then just look <laughs> like I'm the genius that figured this all out in the first place. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, let's, let's get to it because there is a game this week, and it's funny because, um, you know, it's yeah a team that would had Super Bowl aspirations and a team that I'm not sure what their aspirations really are, but this is a big game for both because if the Redskins win, you're one and two going into the Giants next week. If the Bears lose, what's it going to be like there, Rich? Oh, my gosh. It's going to be panic. And, and I don't know how locked in you were on Sunday as, as you were dealing with Redskins-Cowboys post game, but the Bears played in the 4 o'clock slot. Yeah and had just an absolutely insane finish to their victory against the Broncos. They fell behind. They blew a 10-point fourth-quarter lead. They fell behind with 31 seconds left, but then drove the field thanks to a roughing-the-passer call, which was questionable at best. Mitch Trubisky makes a throw on fourth and 15. They call timeout with one second left and hit a 53-yard field goal to beat the Broncos. And so they turned a win from a loss back into a win and ultimately avoided going 0-2. If it had been 0-2, the city would have burned. So, so they postponed that a week, but now <laughs> if they go lose to the Redskins, yeah. the team they're a t uh, favored to beat by a touchdown, then it would sort of be the same thing, that it would just be back to panic. And if they do lose to the Redskins, it would mean that Mitch Trubisky had a bad game. And so that's really the focal point right. here in Chicago this week, is that Mitch has got to get healthy against this bad Redskins defense. 
And I'm going to get to Mitch in a minute because I know you guys had a, you guys were on top of things you know throughout training camp, running your stuff. But with that with that kind of win, do you think there's a bounce they can get, or do you think it maybe masked some issues? Yeah, it, it kind of masks issues, and you know how this works. That when a team wins a game, they always have the smile on their face as they talk about cleaning up the mistakes underneath the sunshine of a win as opposed to the the lightning bolts and dark clouds of a loss. So that's really the attitude that they've proceeded with is that, hey, we know we've got a lot to fix offensively, but, hey, we won. So it it gives you that extra energy going through those practices this week and and the fixes. But to hear Matt Nagy tell it Monday and, and, you know, as we move into this week, you know, Nagy didn't come here to have the 31st ranked scoring offense in the league. You know, he didn't come here to have the worst ranked or the worst rated quarterback of any non Dolphins <laughs> QB in the NFL. And that's what they've got right now. So, yes, they won, but they understand that there are urgent fixes needed for the offense. What have you seen from Trubisky? Because this is this should be a pivotal year for him if there's. Listen, especially when you look at the quarterbacks they passed on, as everybody knows, Mahomes and Watson. But what what have you seen in Trubisky since um, going back to the start of training camp? Yeah, so th- this is the most troubling thing about the Bears right now because they've got this elite defense and just can't seem to match it up offensively. Some of it starts with Nagy as a play caller, but really Trubisky is supposed to be this great eraser. He's supposed to be, you know, as the number two overall pick in 2017, a guy that makes up for bad play calls, a guy who throws receivers open. And it's just – it's not happening. There are all kinds of problems from his ability to see the field and recognize open receivers. When he recognizes them, sometimes his mechanics break down, his feet are bouncy, he's not calm with his mechanics, and his ball will will sail. And he's just been really inconsistent. There will be flashes of the talent and the athleticism. We saw it in training camp. But then he'll throw picks. The uh, the, – storyline through training camp was is Mitch struggling or is he just going against the NFL's best defense the Mm. defense that led the league in takeaways last season and I think once we got to the end of it I I was fairly certain that Mitch was struggling you would see periods when the starters would go against the twos and you would see some of the same inconsistencies footwork vision timing there's there's no rhythm in what is an offense that spawns from the west coast scheme and so that requires really precise footwork and timing getting the ball out it's not there and so as we went into the season we tried to to prepare our readers and say look yes Trubisky is in the second year of his scheme or in the scheme with Matt Nagy yes he is in, in his third NFL season but you better be ready for the roller coaster and so far it hasn't even been a roller coaster it's just been a dip yeah he's really 0 for 2 in terms of showing progression and that, that is causing panic as you mentioned you see what Deshaun Watson's doing, hmm. Pat Mahomes is doing, and with this elite defense, everyone in Chicago just thinks all we needed was one of those other two guys, and they'd be a Super Bowl favorite. Not just a contender, a favorite, and they really aren't that right now. They're kind of stuck. And it's funny because even if he was just playing average, you could you could view it a different way too. I mean, if he's not, you know what I mean? So if he's playing that poorly, it's just it's such a bad match. With, with Trubisky, were some of these issues issues that he had in college as well? Well, that's part of the the disconnect here. And when the Bears drafted him, they just lauded incessantly how accurate he was as a passer. And they the reason they chose him over the other two guys was because they thought he would be extremely accurate from the pocket 
and they thought that his athleticism would also allow him to make throws on the run, make off-schedule plays, make up for any type of protection breakdowns. And you do see it occasionally, but he is nowhere near as accurate Mm. consistently as the Bears advertised him. So in my estimation, that's a misevaluation, that he really isn't that accurate. Um, The the one thing about Trubisky is that he is wired really, really well. You know, hard worker, selfless teammate, extremely committed – the, the one part of his wiring that, that wobbles is the confidence that Mitch, is a, as we've come to know, needs positive results to feel good about himself and to feel comfortable and play without thinking. He can get in his own head when p- negative plays hmm. start stacking up. So um, that's why this, this, uh, the avalanche of criticism and skepticism that's been triggered by these first two games, it's so important. It's why I think Nagy is going to do whatever he can to scheme up Big plays for Mitch against the Redskins. They, they had a situation like this against Tampa Bay last year in week four where Mitch had gone on the road to Arizona. Remember, Arizona was the worst team in the NFL last year. The Bears won 16-14 to 14 out there. Right. Okay? The exact score that they beat the Broncos by last week. They, they come home and they played Tampa, and Nagy saw a banged-up secondary. Okay, you're hearing some familiarities here. He saw a banged-up secondary, <laughs> bad defense. He schemed it up so he threw six touchdown passes in that game, and Mitch earned Offensive Player of the Week honors. He started to feel good about himself. That, I believe, is how the Redskins or the Bears are going to look at this game because go back to last week, John, against Vic Fangio's defense, Nagy really had training wheels on. A lot of quick throws, a lot of predetermined reads, you know, RPO stuff right. where it's only one receiver, screens where it's only one receiver to really help him try to get in a rhythm. And I think they'll try to open it up a little bit against the Redskins. Well, I, I have a few plays that have worked against the Redskins. So I think, and I, <laughs> just a few, I, just a few I think there's a couple. There are a couple similarities with the plays that worked in Week One and Week Two against their cover three. My guess is Matt Nagy will somehow try to get them into that play. It's the one for Redskins fans listening. It's the one where Devin Smith caught the ball against, <clears throat> excuse me, against um, Josh Norman. That play has worked against them, and if, if uh, the corner on the other side wants to stand there and watch as, a, as there's no safety help, then I think Nagy will take that gladly. Um, with, with, with the Bears' offense, if Trubisky starts to play better, do you feel – I know they got Tariq Cohen, Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel. Do they have the weapons to be – what kind of weapons do they have to become what kind of an offense? So th- they have not really surfaced earlier this season season in the first two games so you could parse Mitch's performance by criticizing some of the other weapons to me as I look at sort of the sequencing and the correlation I think it's Mitch not unlocking those guys okay. down the field first and foremost is Allen Robinson who is now another year removed from the ACL that sidelined him in Jacksonville for almost all of 2017 he's explosive he's big-bodied um, you know Redskins fans would probably compare him maybe to Alshon Jeffrey of the Eagles, that big body type Z receiver that can make catches in traffic, contested catches. He and Trubisky have developed a good chemistry on back shoulder throws. There's a lot of trust there. Beyond that, though, they're they're really waiting for the next person to complement what they do offensively. And this is one of the, the areas in which I think Nagy is under the microscope because he is so determined to spread the ball around and highlight this versatility and diversity in his offense that he doesn't necessarily 
stick with one thing when it's working. And so, yeah, Tariq Cohen in the slot is more of a wide receiver this season. He played in the backfield a little bit last week as they try to get matchups against linebackers and things like that. But I think Cohen can get going a little bit more. Anthony Miller, the second-round pick from two years ago, who's their slot receiver, he only has one catch through two weeks. That's a huge Mm. Uh, void right now because he had seven touchdowns as a rookie so Miller needs to get going and then the other one that's a big focus here is Trey Burton the the U tight end the the tight end that fits the mold of Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs that's what Nagy brought here Burton is obviously not that player but he fits that role here as the athletic slot receiver type of tight end and he's had a groin injury all the way through training camp just got back last week, didn't play in week one, and still just had a very limited impact on the game. And if he is able to work the middle of the field, work some over routes, and sort of put defenders in the middle of the field in conflict, he can outrun guys, and they can sort of get a new dimension in their offense. So to me, I look at Cohen, Burton, Miller, and then they've got these two new running backs that they acquired in the offseason trying to remake their backfield. So that is another element that they've tried to get going. They did a lot better against the Broncos, but that balance has not unlocked downfield shots. That's really where they struggle. They don't have any element of the passing game going downfield right now. Well, if they can want to run the if they want to run the ball and use some cutback runs, I think they may have some success. That's been the problem here. Let's look at the Bears defense. Obviously, you know, Khalil Mack gets the headlines. Why do you feel like this Bears defense is so good? They're they're, they're super talented at all three levels. And regardless of the coordinator change from Vic Fangio, who went to the Broncos as the head coach, they brought in Chuck Pagano. I mean, he is taking over a self-driven machine. A lot of guys who are young, hungry, talented, and healthy. (laughs) They're a great combination. So it's Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd. So Mack, you know, he's on a Hall of Fame track in his career right now. Leonard Floyd is a top 10 pick from 2016. He had two sacks in the opener against Aaron Rodgers. Akeem Hicks is a pro bowler in the center of that line. And as you know, to make the NFC pro bowl team as an interior defensive lineman, you have to be awesome. That, That is probably the most loaded position in either conference on any either side of the ball with Aaron Donald and, and you know uh, you know some of the Eagles Giants lie I mean you name it you could go through Sheldon Rankins for the Saints that's a loaded position Akeem Hicks is a beast inside Roquan Smith is a top 10 linebacker really breaking out early in his second season Kyle Fuller who some Redskins fans will remember from his Virginia Tech days he's a former first round pick who was a first team all pro corner last year seven picks had an interception against the Broncos. And Eddie Jackson out of Alabama in his third year at free safety, he was also an all first team all pro last year. So just really talented, fast, aggressive players with a combination of rushing coverage that is just hard to beat. And one of the things I noticed in the first two games where Aaron Rodgers, Joe Flacco have had some success is throwing over the middle. I think the numbers I had from Next Gen Stats is 20 for 25, over 200 yards when those two have combined to throw over the middle. Is that an area, is that a misleading stat? Is that an area where you can, where the Bears are a little bit more vulnerable for some reason in the past game? Um, I, I think Roquan Smith, the, like I said, the top 10 linebacker, former Buckus Award winner, in his second season has really been openly critical of himself in pass coverage. Okay. So a lot of it is about eye discipline. A lot of it is about matchups. At the other inside linebacker spot, they've got Danny Trevathan, who is a, a heartbeat type of guy, um, a reliable player, not necessarily a centerpiece of the defense, and looked a little slow to me last week against the Broncos on some of those balls over the middle where he had to just – rally try to tackle and the 
Broncos did a good job of getting their running backs and Emmanuel Sanders in that area of the field. So, yeah, I, I do think that's a, an area that can be attacked, but I haven't seen the Bears giving up big plays okay. in that area. So it's a lot of maybe checkdowns or shorter crossing routes that maybe offer some opportunity for run after the catch, but it's not like they're being victimized deep in the middle of the field. And one thing the Bears have done very well, especially last week, was avoid the big play. Okay. I mean, they've only given up two touchdowns in two games, and that's why. You just make defense or make offenses put together double-digit play drives because if you make them play that many plays, ultimately the Bears' rush is so good that they're going to draw a holding penalty. They're going to draw hands <laughs> to the face. Yeah. They're going to put you in some type of drive-stall situation over that volume. And so I think they're willing to concede a little bit some of that little dink and dunk over the middle of the field, rally, tackle, try to get you in third down, and then let the quarterbacks uh, or let your pass rushers go get the quarterback. Last one, Rich, before I let you go. You know this team well, the Bears. How do you feel like they respond to to their start in this game? Yeah, I think they, they respond well. And I think um, defensively they're going to show up. They travel. You know, the defense travels, that saying, it, it's true. Um, the Redskins offense, you know, in terms of, of quarterbacks that they play, or the Bears play this year, you know, I don't think anyone circled the Redskins game. As, uh, you know, it's not Aaron Rodgers. It's probably not even Joe Flacco. Um, that level so I think the defense will be fine Um, offensively is the real key and you know you could tell me as much as I could tell you about this but it is such an important game for the Bears offense because after Monday night on a short week they come back and host the Vikings okay they've already lost to the Packers at home if they lose to the Vikings at home you can basically kiss the division goodbye and so this game and you know not to look past it but in some ways it is a tune-up for that Vikings game and that defense. They've got to get the offense ready. So there will be a ton of focus this week on sharpness offensively, and it's just a bad matchup for the Redskins because of all their defensive problems and injuries and things like that. So I expect a sharper performance, but Trubisky has continued to sort of baffle us with his plateau right here, so it is hard to make a prediction here. I just generally think that they'll be in a good spot to handle their business, and whether he plays that breakout game, that's what I'm curious to see on Monday night. Awesome, man. Rich, I miss talking to you, and it'll be good to see you Monday. Thanks for coming right, on. So when, when, you, when you bring the brisket to the press box <laughs> on Monday, okay, just make sure you bring the multiple soft you know I like the multiple sauces. I might be doing some pulled pork Saturday. I don't know yet. We'll see. See, I got I got a bad <laughs> deal on this Monday night game because otherwise I would have come in earlier uh, and tried to visit everyone, and I would have had to come out to the country to, to see the farm and, and get some of this pulled pork <laughs> and stuff. But instead I got to fly in day of game and uh, get in and out. There so you go. That, I, I, uh, that's why I need you to bring some of this to the box. <laughs> All, right. All right, man. All right, Rich, we'll see you then. Coming up, it's time for your therapy session as I answer your questions in a podcast mailbag, including what the heck is wrong with the Redskins defense? I have a few thoughts. Welcome back. It's time for your questions, which really kind of seems like it's turned into a therapy session. So, yes, the doctor is in this week. So let's get right to it. T Peeps wants to know, from your perspective, what is the biggest missing component 
that is preventing this team from being successful, leadership, discipline, accountability, etc. I think you can check off all the above. So a lot of those, yes, accountability though, with good teams comes from the players. When players hold one another accountable, it matters more. Now, coaches and the organizations create a culture where this is allowed to happen. There's a way you do things, a way you practice, et cetera. So I think that's one. I think another word I'd use is transparent, as in not all coaches are as transparent as players would like. Jay Gruden probably tells the media more than he does some of his players. And I think that's was that has been a little bit, I don't know about an issue, but I think it's something that I've that I've heard. And here's here's the funny thing. I think right now, if they had a new coach right now, let's say they've made a coaching change after last year, and you look at this roster, I think we'd view this situation different. I'd still worry about the organization's ability to build a winner, but then at that point, they would have had a new coach with a young quarterback and a good base of young talent to develop, but they, they, don't, they have that kind of roster with a staff that needs to win. So I think sometimes it feels, I don't know, if, I don't know it's too early to say it's a wasted year. Let's see how it goes from here, but um, I think it goes back to the leadership up, up top, and I'll get to more of that later. So I think sometimes it's a matter of just maybe uh, just an, uh, creating odd situations here. All right, now let's go to uh, Corey. Wants to know what, any idea what they do with Trent. Surely they can read the room and realize he does not want to be in Washington. Corey, I keep hearing that they're not inclined to trade him. Now, could that change if there was some great offer? Sure, anything can happen. And if you get blown away, then you have to make that deal. I'm not sold that they were truly offered a one and rejected that. I don't know. What I'd heard is that some teams pulled out once they heard that Williams want what Williams wanted in terms of a possible extension. I think in some ways they might be stuck with one another unless some team does get desperate because of their left tackle situation. I know the Patriots just placed Isaiah Wynn, their left tackle, and IR. They were rumored to be interested before. One thing I'd heard at that time, the Pats didn't want to pay him more money. They pulled out. I don't know if that, you know, is that completely accurate? That's just what I heard. If that's the case, then it's hard to see them jumping back in. I'm not positive on that, but I, the vibe I got from talking to people um, was that that probably wouldn't be the case. One thought I had expressed that had been expressed to me involved trading him in the offseason. The feeling was they'd be able to get more for him at that time because he'd still, if he doesn't report by for the last, if he's not on the roster for at least six games, it does not count as an accrued season. If that's the case, he'd go into the offseason with two years left on his deal. So that's the only way he has value to me in the offseason if he still has two years left on his deal. Um, I don't know that Williams would want to get to that because it means for him that he would lose that accrued season and coming back in, you know, for week 10 or whatever it is, the last six games, would allow him to bypass that and be one year closer to being a leave here if that's what he truly wants. This sure feels like a game that Bruce Allen wants to win, and that's not the best way to operate. If they see Trent as a big part of their future still and feel it can be resolved and it's, and it's not as bad as what, what people on the outside think, okay. They've misjudged situations in the past, though. Otherwise, what are you accomplishing? Some of this is about precedence, not just caving into players' demand. I get that. But at some point, there's one question that any good organization has to ask. And it's something I don't think they do often enough with the moves they make or don't make here, and it's this. What is best for this franchise? That's always the question to ask. All right, so let's go to Dizinator, all caps. Why are the Redskins perpetually mediocre? Is it ownership, front office? I look at the constant, any insider insight. Easy, everything starts at the top. If you want to see a good organization, go to the top. There's only been one coach hired by Dan Snyder that's had a record of at least 500, and that was Marty Schottenheimer, who lasted one year. Joe Gibbs, Mike Shanahan, Steve Spurrier, Jim Zorn, Jay Gruden, all below 500. 
Good organizations start at the top, and there's no more insight than that I can provide. That said, I think that at times they do things that other good places would not. I love D'Angelo Hall. I loved watching him develop as a person and as a player. I don't think there are a lot of places that would have kept him around that last year or two, given his injury history and the salary and all that. But they seem to hang on to people in those situations, regardless of what they are going to offer. And I think that's true on the field and then in other places in the building. As for something deeper, the word I always hear is there's a disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff. That's something that you hear, you've heard Jay Gruden and others in the organization talk about, get on the same page. I think it leads to a mismatch rosters. I hear that from agents all the time about this place, um, and that's nothing new. I've said that before, but, and it's something I think they've said before, but you need to have that for you to build a good, or, a good organization. Josh Stack wants to know, any concern about case – Keenum's arm strength and why he has missed some of the throws or not pulled the trigger on others. Um, I'll get right to you. I'd said a couple more, but I'll just get right to it. The issue on those throws, Josh, was in his arm. When you overthrow guys he did in Philly, it's not because of a weak arm. He was, he just, he missed him. He overthrew him by five yards. Um, that was five yards past Terry McLaurin. Against Dallas, he missed McLaurin again, but it, again, it was more too long. It wasn't the distance or the strength on it. It was that he needed to put it more out to the other side of the field. Instead, he threw it over to the, to, you know, it was down the middle. I threw it to the left. Safety was biting up on the play. Throw him more to the middle, to the other side of the field. Let him run under it. That would have given him a chance to have a big play. Byron Jones had good coverage, but I think the throw was not, it was more about accuracy than it was about arm strength. I think there's other throws that, yeah, he hasn't made. I don't know if that's because of his inexperience in the offense. Sometimes you might not see a guy. Paul Richardson was wide open last week. The pocket was collapsing. I don't know that Keenum said, yeah, I know I missed him. He should have had it. But I don't know what he saw in that play if that pocket was there. But, but there, some of those are throws that, yes, he can make, but it's not about arm strength with what's going on here. Sometimes it's about not seeing guys. I've seen McLaurin wide op or open on other plays that he hasn't thrown. Um, and there you go. So, but it's not about the arm strength. Be a militant wants to know the big question that everybody wants to know. What needs to change for us to get pressure on the quarterback? All right, B. So a couple things. One thing I will say that I think there's some frustration over there that they want, even just within the organization, that be, why aren't they more aggressive? Why are they playing more so, so far off? It says if, it doesn't feel like they're trying to go out and attack at all, and this is, they, they can't, it hasn't worked. So that's, that's one thing. You, they can be more aggressive, and I'll get to more of that in a minute. I think Montez Sweat needs to develop. He's young. He's faced two of the top left tackles in the game in Jason Peters and Teron Smith. He's also clearly thinking a bit too much and still learning the speed that he must rush with to be effective. I didn't think in camp that he always looked explosive or anything like that. He's long. He can run. I think he has some strength. I would use him on some stunts to the inside at times and just use that strength to maybe impact some of those interior throws, but also get him, try to get him against a guard, and then, he'll, then his quickness against guard is going to be better. But I think it's, it's been hard for him. They haven't, I don't think they've done a good job of trying to get him into better situations. Um, I think they need to keep their – but going back to what, he needs some time. He's just a rookie. Khalil Mack had four sacks as a rookie. It takes time. Two, they need to keep their interior D-line fresh. Deron Payne did a lot in the first half the other day. Didn't quite see him as much in the second. I think Jonathan Allen getting back will help. I don't know why they never stunt with these guys, and they, but they just haven't. And I would like to see some of that because I think they have guys who can be effective in that role. Um, and that goes from the, the linebackers and the interior. They haven't blitzed as much. Again, sometimes it's a function of not wanting to expose your defensive backs, but the front four hasn't done enough. So no stunts, I don't get it. I'd like to see, like I said, stunts, sweat, and, excuse me, sweat, 
stunt inside. You look at Dallas, they have a talented group, but they hurt Washington's right side with a couple stunts. You know, and then I think the other thing you do with the pressure is you got to cover tighter. The D-backs must give the D-line time to get to the quarterback. Um, I'll give you this. The Redskins rank 10th in terms of how long the opposing quarterbacks take before throwing. So that's, you know, the quarterbacks are throwing the 10th fastest against them. That tells me the ball's getting out faster. But Prescott was too comfortable. On, on pass plays where he had at least 2.51 seconds in the pocket or more, he completed 15 of 18 passes. Too comfortable. They haven't disrupted that. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. And... Um, Let's see. I think this will be the last one. Chris Collier. I think it will be ironic if Dwayne Haskins starts because of poor defensive play instead of the offense. Do you think he will play start sooner than rather than later, even if Case continues to play well? Chris, that's hard to say. And I know you got now Daniel Jones starting in New York. That doesn't necessarily impact anything here. If Case is playing well and the team is technically alive in the playoff race, then no, I don't think they would change. If Case Keenum is struggling but the team is sort of alive, then if Colt McCoy, if, if his leg is better, if you know, I think you could go to him if he's if he's healthy, and there's no guarantee of that. But I, I think um, for McCoy to be a starter, he has to be healthy. And if he had been healthy in camp, he would be the starter now. But my guess is they turn to Haskins once they're out of the race. And that's just a guess. I do know that they felt before the year that he still had a ways to go. Um, I do think he'll play this year. It's rare for first-round quarterbacks to not play. I do like this offense a lot for Haskins. I like this coaching staff for Haskins. They know he needs more seasoning, but that's why I doubt he plays until they're either out of the race or others get hurt. But like I said, what they do with this pass game, I think fits what he does well as a passer. All right, I'm going to end it right there, folks. Thank you very much to Terry McLaurin for joining me, my friend Rich Campbell at the Chicago Tribune, and thank you, as always, for your questions and for listening.